Welcome to the Run for God Run Club, where you will find God in a runner's space. Welcome to the Run for God Run Club. This is your one stop each week to be motivated and inspired to get off the couch and onto the running trail where you can, in turn, inspire others to do the same. Let's learn, laugh, and leap into running together, giving God the glory for what we are able to do in His name. Amen. I am your running host, Dean Thompson, the one, the only, the spectacular Run for God founder, Mitchell Hollis, is in the house. You're really getting out of hand with these intros, Dean, but thanks for having me. (laughs) Hey, can I get an amen on that? I'm sure I can. (laughs) Eternity, forever. Have you ever thought about it? We'll share a kind of a poem of sorts that ponders eternity and what it might what might happen if we left our agendas blank for the day. Mm. We'll also talk about the story of Naaman from the Bible and mm-hmm. kind of relate that back to running a little mm-hmm. bit. So you'll you'll want to hear that. So we had a trivia question. Actually, uh, we had a trivia question. Yeah, last week. Um, what was the first shoe made specifically for a sport? What company made them? And what was the year? Did you know the answer to this one? I thought I knew the answer, and what I was thinking was correct. But right. I didn't know any of the details behind it. Yep, yep, yep. Chuck's. Chuck Taylor's, right? Mm-hmm. The Converse Chuck Taylor, um, which is interesting because actually the Chuck Taylor itself was not the first one. It was the predecessor to the Chuck Taylor. So in 1917, Converse comes out with this shoe, meant for basketball specifically mm-hmm. um, and exclusively, um, and it was the first shoe made uh, that was made specifically for any sport in a mass way. Now, there had been particular shoes made because back in the 1800s, they used to make spikes for running, and what they would do is they would hammer nails through a pair of shoes, <laughs> and that's the, that were, those were the spikes of yesteryear. Um, so that, that it was a little bit different. Those were not mass made. Right. These were mass made. So, and they've uh, kind of started making a comeback. They have. Well, the younger crowd. They've never gone away. Really, well, that's true. But they've kind of went. I had four pairs out. of them in the eighties. I mean, seriously, different, all different colors. I had a red yeah. pair, a yellow pair, a white pair, and a black pair. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they haven't. Maybe I've just. Maybe I went through that period where I had little bitty kids and. I just didn't see them much. But now with all Lane and Lane's friends, I, I see them quite a bit now again. Well, they do go up and down for sure. There are times when they are more popular than others, but it amazes me that they, they continue. Although And they um, haven't changed. Yeah. No, they haven't. <laughs> they have changed, though. They've changed on the inside. Nike oh. bought Converse back in the early 2003 or something like that. I didn't know that. And, yes, and I didn't realize that either until, until looking this up. And then uh, what happened was, they changed the comfort level, the inside of the shoe, and how it's made. The yeah, outside they were looks, not looks identical. What's that? They were not comfortable. No, back they in the weren't. Day. They weren't. No, no. And the idea that these were made to prevent blisters just just <laughs> is uh, is very interesting. Like to you're me, strapping because, on a piece of canvas. Yeah, yeah, boy, oh boy. You know, all this started with the first the first crude kind of sneakers were called plimsolls. Um, and it was <laughs> what was so funny about these shoes is there was no right or left shoe. You just bought two shoes, and they were the same. And you wore these things called plimsolls. 
Um, and then not long after people realized this maybe wasn't the greatest idea, Keds came out with the first actually soft rubber bottom shoe. Was it made for sports or anything? That's um, another name I haven't heard in years, yeah. Keds. Yep, yep. Which tells you, you know, Keds and, and the Converse All-Stars are very, very similar. Yeah. They're very similar shoes, and it's interesting that kit. Now, there are some kids available still today, but nothing like the Chuck Taylors. Hmm. So, uh, yeah. So that was it. That was the first one. Now, it turns out that Chuck Taylor, the guy Chuck Taylor, that the shoes were, were the signature on the shoes, happened to be a guy who was both a salesman for the company and a semi-professional basketball player. And he tried on the original and decided, I can do better than this, or I think I can do better than this. And he's the one that kind of came up with the design for the what we know today as the Chuck Taylors. That's interesting. Yeah, he wanted a more comfortable shoe. So the version we have today is the more comfortable version. Uh, and here's what I love about this is the Chuck Taylor comes out in 1923, right? That's the first signature Converse All-Star Chuck Taylors and was used in the NBA. The NBA now, not not just some backwoods place until 1979. 56 years. Wow. Isn't that incredible? Yeah, they Man. dominated the market. You wonder what happened. What They just didn't change with the times or something. Nike. Yeah. Nike happened. I mean, it really did. Nike came in and they, which was came about because of a runner Yes, that's Not right. Not a basketball player. That's right. Which, but they eventually made basketball shoes. Yeah. Um, and then when they started making the Air Jordan, it really took a lot of market share away from so uh, a lot of folks. basketball would not be what it is today had it not been for runners. That's right. That's right. I mean, that's, we're going to go with that. That's the story we're going yep. with. Yep. yep. Sure. Well, once again, runners <laughs> are at the forefront of, front of technology, comfort, everything. Uh, yeah, all of it. Yep. And you know these shoes have been in a lot of movies too. I remember the movie Back to Future, Back, Back, Back to, to the, the Future, future. Uh, and I always loved that movie. And I remember you could you could see his feet on the on the hoverboard or the skateboard, you know, and, and wearing those shoes from from way back in the nineteen fifties because yeah. that's what they were back then, um, and they're iconic. So <laughs> yeah, interesting. Um, has to easily be the all-time best-selling shoe, and I don't think there's any way anybody can ever catch them. I mean, I, I just can't imagine that. Yeah, right? too many choices nowadays. Yeah, too many choices. Hey, how about this scripture I, that, that we were talking about recently? It's First Peter 3, 7. It says, In the same way, you husbands must give honor to your wives. Treat your wife with understanding as you live together. She may be weaker than you are, but she is your equal partner in God's gift of new life. Treat her uh, as you should, so your prayers will not be hindered. I want to focus on that last part. I want to focus on the other. We should be treating our wives well, but did you hear what that says? That says, if we don't treat our wife well, God ain't listening to you. How's that grab you? That's... Very convicting. Uh, just, Where in the world did this verse come from? Because this I, I, is just like stuck in here. Yeah. And, you know, you know I, I love the the verse where I submit to your husbands, and my wife is always real quick to go to this one, yeah. <laughs> which is dead on. Yeah, it's, it is dead on. And I thought, I just thought, I noticed it this week. I thought it was interesting. I had to throw it in there because I just wanted to talk about it. <laughs> Women everywhere are going, thank you, Dean. Thank you, Dean. They're going to make all their husbands listen to this podcast for that verse. Well, because they, it came out of nowhere. So, 
as well. This is on somebody's should. heart somewhere right now. That's right. It that's was because right. that's the effort. way God works, right? <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Hey, epic workouts. Have you ever had one of those where you have this epic workout? Can you can you think of one that you had that was uh, you know this just crazy great workout or a uh, or a uh, Maybe it was really, really a difficult workout or something like that. Can you think of anything? Yeah. I, when I was training for my last marathon, and I hope I'm going to get this name right because I think, is it is it Yasso 800s? Yes. Yes, Yasso 800s. Mm-hmm. I think that was the hardest thing I've ever done. Probably yeah. because I wasn't doing it right at the beginning. You know, I, I was, I'm never, I have never been good at pacing. Yeah. And that workout is all about yep. s- starting at the right pace and. Yep. I tend to start a little bit fast and blow up and flame out like a meteorite hitting the earth. That's, that's usually me. And that's if you're that type of person, it's not that's not a good workout to do. But yeah, that that's one of those workouts that really yeah. sticks with me. Yeah, and I've done that workout. As a matter of fact, I remember one time doing that workout and I remember coming home and I remember having the discussion with my wife. I said, I just did this Yasso eight I think it was the first time maybe I'd ever done them. And um I, I went to my wife and I said this is this is ridiculous. This Yasso 800 formula that says if you can do these 800s in a certain time, then that translates to your marathon time. So I did these, and I averaged 239. And I thought, there's no way I can run a 239 marathon. And I had a marathon coming up a month later. Guess what I ran? 239. 239. <laughs> it was crazy. That Bart guy knows what he's talking about, <laughs> don't he? It's amazing that he was able to figure that out. So for everybody listening, because I'm sure everybody's scratching their head going, what is the Yasso 800s? Describe that workout. Okay. The Bart Yasso 800s, or Yasso 800s as they're known, is 10 times 800 meters. So you do 10 times 800 meters. The rest in between is about equal to um, the time. amount of time that you run. Typically, that's about jogging about a lap, typically, mm-hmm. um, which is the way that I do them. Um, now, you can you can kind of just walk around on the side and just wait that amount of time, or you can jog the lap. But either way, the the trying to maximize your time and trying to run them as fast as you can across the broad spectrum of all 10, whatever you average is supposed to predict your marathon time. Mm-hmm. So if you do that and you average, let's say you average four minutes per 800, then that should say that you should be able to run a four-hour marathon. If you run 4.10, then you should be able to run a four-hour and 10-minute marathon. So, uh, yeah, and like I said, it predicted mine dead on the first time I tried it. So, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's an interesting thing. Hmm. I remember doing a workout one time, too. It was another 800 workout. I was doing six times 800, and I remember hitting every single one of them in the exact same time. I mean, within tenths of a second of each other. Every single rep. And I was, that last one was all out, and the first one was the first one, right? And so I remember being so proud of myself because I perfect, I did a perfect workout that day. Um, so that's, that's one of my epic workouts that I remember. Hmm. Yeah. So, hey, don't forget about the Couch to Marathon in one year. Don't miss out on this. Time is getting short. You need to get signed up. It is coming. The time is almost on us. Registrations are going crazy. Yeah. I'm uh, I'm really pumped. Not only to be taking part in it myself, but to, to be doing it with all these people. We've had thousands of people sign up for more information, and there is a large percentage of those thousands who have not signed up yet. So we're going to keep bugging you. We're going to keep emailing you because you 
responded to an ad and you gave me your email address and your name and basically said, I'm interested in this couch to marathon. Most people have their biggest problem. We, we, we talked about it a couple of weeks ago. The hardest step is the first step. Mm-hmm. The first step is joining Run Club. We've, we've talked about this already. 27 cents a day. You get so much stuff as a runner. Even if we didn't have the Couch to Marathon program, you get an incredible amount. You get an incredible amount of stuff. Um, you get the training. You get the coaching. You get the accountability, the encouragement that comes through the the other members in the class. But you're also contributing. If if we didn't do anything else, what I'm about to say is worth it. You're contributing to a ministry that wakes up every single day trying to figure out how we can share the love of Jesus Christ with other people through the sport of running. Every week we have people make decisions for Christ based on, and we've said this before, some of these come in during the middle of the night. It's mm-hmm. not anything you and I are doing. Yeah, We're simply a vessel, yep. and and this vessel is fueled by the people who are, who are part of this ministry, part of this run club, and you're helping this vessel drive down the road, and God is hanging out the window picking off people. Yep. And it's so fun to be in the car with him. Yeah, it is. And I, I want to stay here. And uh, we want you to be in the car with us. So join Run Club. The Couch to Marathon, it's going to be epic. You talk yeah. about an epic workout. This is 2021 is going to be an epic year. It is. The, the, the dumpster fire of 2020 is, is going to be behind us. <laughs> and it's going to be fun. And I want everybody listening to this to join us. This is like the phoenix, right? The phoenix flying out of the flames. The dumpster <laughs> fire of 2020 to the phoenix of 2021. And you know the old Chinese proverb says, the journey of a thousand miles starts with one step. Yep. Well, the journey of the 26.2 mile marathon begins with the first step. Which Take is that step. signing up for runforgod.com. Or, no, I'm sorry. Runforgodrunclub.com. Dot com. 27 cents a day to be part of an awesome journey. Come join us. It's going to be epic. As a mom, I want to make sure we choose a cereal that's not entirely derived from sugar. Their car seats have to be nationally CPS certified, and their first car has to have every possible safety feature known to man. I just want to do my best to make sure that they're safe. One thing I don't have to worry about is the content they hear on J-Radio. Not only do they love the music, but I know it's only going to be a positive message that I would approve of. Now, if I could just figure out how to get my youngest from sticking everything up his nose. Sign up at JRadio.com and download the new J-Radio app in your app store. And we are back. Don't forget that you can send messages to dean at runforgod.com. If you don't know about us, go to runforgod.com or runforgodrunclub.com. Learn more about what Run For God is, what we do, what we offer, how you can be edified, and how you can be a part of a growing ministry that is sharing the love of Christ and making a difference in this world through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, And don't forget, we would love to hear your story. We um, we have stories. We have people out there who have incredible, incredible stories. And I know, I know what you're saying. Gosh, it takes time to sit down and write out my story. That would be difficult. Maybe you're saying, I'm not a writer. 
okay. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter. Write out your story. Send it to us because I'm telling you, there's somebody out there that needs to hear your story. So let me add something to that. You say that every week, and we want, we want to hear your story because we say somebody needs to hear it, just like you just said. But there's something else right now in this season that, that I want, and we've been posting these. If you're signed up for the Couch to Marathon Challenge, take your phone, put it on selfie mode, and start the video. And look in the camera and tell us why. Yeah. Everybody has a why. Everybody has a story, and everybody has a why. So maybe you're thinking, mm, I don't, I don't have that good story yet. Well, I would argue you do. Okay, but let's let's go with it. Okay, so write your story. Yep. Your story next year. By the end of 2021, if you do the Couch to Marathon Challenge, you're going to have a story. Oh yeah. I promise you. So get your phone out. And, and hold it up and tell us why. You can look on the Run Club page um, on social media and see examples of others. But tell us your why. Why are you wanting to do the Couch to Marathon Challenge? Because a challenge like that is almost impossible if you don't have a why. That's right. You, you've got to have that why. You've got to write it down. Your your why is the driver to get you to the goal. That you know Everybody says, write your goals down. But you got to write your why down too, or articulate it and put it out there because that is instant accountability. And making instant that, accountability, yes, and making that video will almost ensure that you cross that finish line a year later. Yeah, I mean, I'm, yeah, I, I'm thinking of Angie's video. Angie Hawkins, she did a video, and, and I, I remember exactly what she said. She said, "I've never been that girl that says I'm going to do a marathon, but I'm going to do a marathon." Yeah, talk about ammunition for for everybody to hold her feet to the fire but that's what she wants that's what we need we're so scared to do that we're so scared to and i get it we don't want to put ourselves out there because we're afraid of failure but putting ourselves out there is the the best thing to ward off failure because we've got people in we're not nobody's going to say ha 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 you didn't do it but what people are going to do is they're going to encourage you to reach that goal by any means yeah. And uh, so, yeah, if give us your why. Send us your why on video. You can send those to Mitchell at runforgod.com. Send your story to Dean at runforgod.com. And uh, it's going to be fun. Yeah, I received a why in the form of an email um, mm-hmm. recently from Tracy Taylor. Many people out there, mm-hmm. if you've been with Run Club for a while, you know the yeah. name Tracy Taylor, yeah. right? Um, and she has gone kind of away from the Facebook page, but she's still heavily involved. Um, Tracy has some serious physical limitations Mm. and some things that make it really, really difficult. But you know what she's going to do? She's in. Mm. She's all in. She's going to she's going to give it her absolute best shot. That's awesome. If you're out there and you're saying you can't do it, let me tell you something. If Tracy can do it with the limitations that she has, Mm -hmm. I'm pretty sure you can do it, too. Sure. This week, our story is its kind of a poem. It's really short. It's way different than anything we've ever shared on here before. And so what the heck? Let's try something different, right? Because we're all about variety, right? Alicia McDaniel is the one who shares this story w- with us. And she is from Winona, Mississippi. And the title of her story is Maybe Life. Maybe life is short, but all eternity has been preparing me for it. The preparation for it is meant to prepare me for eternity that is to come. Maybe life is constantly moving on from one day to another. 
These days I mark each one off the calendar before me with an X, as if I've already completed it, when in all actuality it hasn't even begun. Maybe it's because what I've experienced so far is that each one seems to resemble the one before. Maybe it's because of my expectation, my hope, has no longer become the reality of what I expected or what I dreamed it would be. Maybe it's because what I desire has taken so long, and each day reminds me that I have no control over eternity, and that my reality is, and always will be, another day to reach, to grasp, and to wait. Wait for the one to say, this is the day. Maybe today I will choose to leave my day blank. Maybe welcoming no thought to the expected, but maybe welcoming the unexpected. <laughs> this is one of those that I had to read a couple times. Yeah. Because I'm fairly simple minded and this is this is going off into some deep waters here. Yeah. And as short as this story is, you could you could park here for a long time. Yeah. Yeah. Incre- welcoming incredible. The, welcoming Alicia. the unexpected, right? That's uh, that's interesting. We just recently had a podcast where we talked about being uncomfortable. And when mm-hmm. you welcome the unexpected, that's uncomfortable. Sure. Right? Um, and, and I read a, a prayer recently from Charles Spurgeon where he talks about a glorious disorder. <laughs> now, think about those two words together, a glorious disorder, a disorder that leads people to Christ that strengthens people's faith, um, that's not expected. Uh, But we are expected, I believe, to get outside of our comfort zones in order to experience what God has for us. And so I think that's that's very – so this whole idea of glorious disorder. But we talk about this all the time. We get this concept and everything else. Mm -hmm. Everything else – but our walk with Christ, we get it and we welcome it. Mm. So maybe some people welcome it in their walk with Christ. I haven't got there yet. Even <laughs> though Paul tells us, James tells us, count it all joy. Count it all joy. Um, but the, the, the phrase that she had in here that stuck out to me the most, because G- Jesus said, be ready. Always be ready. Always be ready for his second coming. And she she made the statement, waiting on the day that God says, this is the day. Trumpet may say, what? That gives me goosebumps. Yeah. yeah. To, to hear the coach upstairs. This is the day, guys. Man, yeah. think about how exciting... That's going to be, yeah. and and that we're called to expect that every day. Yeah. We're we're called to live our life in a way that we're ready, mm-hmm. ready for that, and that's exciting. But so many times we lose focus of that. Yeah, absolutely. She shares some scripture here. He has made everything beautiful in his time. Also. He has set eternity in their heart so that no man can find out the work that God makes from beginning to the end. That's Ecclesiastes 3.11. Uh, 
So she went off into a deep chapter. Yeah. Ecclesiastes. <laughs> yeah. I mean, golly bum. And I, so I'm just going to read. I, I went and looked that verse up. And Ecclesiastes is, if you don't know, chapter 3 is the a time to mm-hmm. chapter. Mm-hmm. A time to plan, a time to die, a time to live, a time to pluck, a time to kill, whatever. So I shouldn't say whatever. That's kind of. But you you know, you know the chapter. The chapter. There's a song about it. There's a song written. Right. It, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah. But I want to read. I want to read the commentary on chapter three, verse eleven. It says, "Eternity in their hearts refers to a deep-seated compulsive drive to transcend our morality by knowing the meaning and destiny of the world. Because we are made in the image of God, we have an inborn inquisitiveness." about eternal realities. Didn't say Christians. It said we, humans. We can find peace only when we come to know our eternal creator. Even then, we know God only in part. All we see is the micro moment of our own existence in the grand span of eternity. Thus, the scriptures call people to live in robust faith during times of trial and pain. In the grand scheme of things, God will make everything beautiful. And I, I've never actually read that. I mean, you always hear that, that we're all, you hear things like, we're born with a God-sized void that people are always trying to fill. Well, this commentary kind of s- speaks to that in that we are made in the image of God. We have an unborn, inborn, I'm sorry, inborn inquisitiveness about eternal realities. Mm -hmm. That's talking about that God-sized whole and that every one of us have that, Christian or not Christian. And the beauty is that Christians find the thing that fills that hole. And it's Jesus Christ. But it's it's why it's so exciting to when you see somebody struggling with that, they have that inquisitiveness and they're trying to fill it with all these things that we we have the we have the filler. We yeah. we know what that is and and it just illustrates to me the, the importance or the simplicity. We're gonna talk about simplicity in a minute, of it's simple. Yeah. We all have a hole and there's only one thing going to fill that hole. Yeah. And it's Jesus Christ. And we need to go tell people that. And you know one other thing that that I think is striking about that whole idea and the whole concept is that as human beings we're the only ones that understand what eternity means. Mm-hmm. We have all these other creatures that run around, all this of these other life forms that run around and we have you know in plant life and in animal life they don't understand that Mm-mm. only the ones made in the image of god understand the concept of eternity and i think that's interesting um god it, god is so big so deep that we can't possibly understand everything that he has and everything that he knows and understands um but when one thing that we do know that we're sure of, and because the Bible tells us, and because we feel it innately, just like it talks about there in that commentary, um, we all have a time and a purpose. Sure. Seasons. And, and that's, that's us now. 
Another scripture passage, to everything there is a season, a time for every purpose under heaven. Again, Ecclesiastes 3, 1. Um, <laughs> isn't that what we're all doing? Mm-hmm. Uh, trying to find our purpose under heaven? Uh, again, the, the this concept of seasons uh, is interesting. and um, The Bible tells us about all of, I say all of them, the Bible tells us about a lot of different seasons, right? And, and we know that when we, we compare it to weather and we think about winter and spring and summer and fall, and we think about those seasons. But here's what I think is really interesting is God has other seasons that we don't even know about. This, this idea that, that we understand all of the, we don't understand anything mm-hmm. when it comes to what God understands. And so I, I'm convinced when we get to heaven, there's going to be something that's not winter, spring, summer, or fall. It's going to be something completely different, and yeah. it's going to be fantastic. And I think I think God uses us in different ways in different seasons of our life. And I think sometimes when we get caught up is we try to hold on to a season too long. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I compared. I've I've got a senior right now, mm. and man, it. I know people listening have had kids and seniors, and so you know what I'm talking about. But it's there's a season about to come to a close, and it's hard. Yeah, you want to hold on. You know, mm-hmm. Lane just we all had a big dinner Saturday night and let met Lane's new triathlon coach. Mm-hmm. I've coached Lane since he was six years old. You've coached him in running since he was probably ten, eleven. The, the human thing to do is to try to hold on. Yeah. You know, hold, hold on. But that's not God's design. Mm-mm. It's, it's, God's design is for our kids to, to move on, to learn from what we've instilled in them and to move into that next season of their life, which allows us to move into the next season of our life. It's hard. Mm-hmm. It's very hard. But it's so necessary because the good that comes from it. Yeah, and too many times we try to hold on to that and and dig in and say, no, this this can't happen. Um, there's pain in the changing of seasons, but there's also something beautiful that comes out in the spring. It, and you know what you're describing? You're describing evolution in its true form. True form. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Here's a question. Do we limit God based on our expectations? <laughs> when I read that question, I thought about, yes, the answer is yes. I'll start there. <laughs> yes, all the time. But I thought about, you know, we've talked about David Hendricks on here quite a bit. David was an integral part of Run for God when we first started, and, and he went on to be with the Lord a few years ago. But we have a uh, we have our race trailer that David used to just, he kept that thing neat as a pen, and it was his baby. I mean, he that was his trailer, and and he would pull it to races and things, and and I would say, hey, David, do you care to just back that in right there? And David wasn't a great backer, and David would say, ah, I don't know if I can do that. And I would say, okay, let me drive. Yeah. And I, because I'm a pretty good backer, and I would back it into whatever. How many times do we do that with God? Hmm. That's it. You know, God says, Hey, why don't you go do this? And we say, Ah, God, I don't know if I can do that. Yeah. 
But then God says, great, step aside. I'll take care of it. Let, let, I, I stepped into David's truck. Yeah. That was David's truck. I stepped into his vessel, and I guided that trailer where it needs to go. Wow. Not, not that I'm comparing myself to God in any way, but the <laughs> illustration is there that sometimes God wants to use this vessel. Yeah. He don't need us, but he says, great, step aside. Just, just let me use your vessel to get this job done. But so many times we don't want to step aside. Yeah. And we just get in the way and we're just, and sometimes we just need, there's, there's nothing wrong with stepping aside and saying, okay, God, take the wheel as though Carrie Underwood song says, yeah, Jesus, take the wheel. God, God don't need us, but he, he wants to use our vessel. What a great, great example. And, and I don't, we, we don't even know all the things God can accomplish, you know, um, you know, right now, politically, there's a, there's half the country that feels like the world is going to end mm-hmm. because of a particular guy who's going to be in office. And the truth is, God is way more powerful than who's elected and who's in power and, and whatever. None of that phases God in the slightest. And this is all in his plan. It is. We, we, we can't forget that, that. God knows the beginning. He knows the end. He knows what's going on right now. He knows how we're going to react. Does, are we puppets? No. But he's got the highlight reel. He's, right. he's outside of time. He, he knows what's happening 100 years from now. And it's, it's no big deal to God. Yeah. No matter who's in the White House, no matter who's doing what, God's going to work all things to his glory. So again, do we limit God? Based on our expectations? Absolutely. Yeah, because we don't even know what to expect. <laughs> How about this question? Do we trust him for the unexpected? This whole idea that, that I shared that from, about Charles Spurgeon and this glorious disorder. Um, not, not only should we trust him, we should be asking him for it. Right. right? Give me something tough. So here's the way I look at it. I look at it like this. I, I remember being coached. Mm-hmm. in running and I could remember I remember this one workout where the coach built it up and built it up over weeks mm-hmm. and he said I had a 412 miler down in Florida when I was coaching down there that couldn't do this workout and I remember oh he, he told me that a couple of times and I remember I, I was anticipating that day because this guy was going to crush that workout but you know this is the same thing with with God when he gives us something hard to do we should look at that as this is my opportunity to demonstrate to God how much I love him, right? That's what I look for in the unexpected. Yeah. Yeah, I, you make me think of a how many t- how many times does that go on that that God is doing those types of things and we don't even know it. He's 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 preparing. Yes, we should anticipate the unexpected, but God is always preparing us for the unexpected. Mm-hmm. You know, you, you mentioned coach, and I, it immediately took me to um, what was Michael Phelps's coach name? Uh, oh, I, I always think of Bowerman, but it's not Bowerman. It's I don't remember Bob Bowman. Huh. Bob Bowman is Michael Phelps' coach. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard. I think it was the the two thousand eight Beijing Olympics when he won the two hundred meter butterfly. And if you remember the story. Michael Phelps, when he dove in, his goggles came down and filled up with water. Mm-hmm. He was swimming 
blind, and yet he won gold in the 200-meter butterfly. And this this story just – it's incredible. And when they come up and ask him, how is your race, Michael? He said, well, my, my goggles came down, and they filled up with water, and I just couldn't see anything. And they were like – how, how did how did you how did you finish the race? You couldn't see anything. You won gold, and you were swimming blind. He said, "Well, he said I knew what to expect." And they said, "Well, okay, nobody can expect that their goggles are going to fall off." And he said, "Oh, yeah, I can." He said, "There's been several times in my past, even at some meets, when my coach would walk by, Bob Bowman, he would walk by, and my goggles would be laying on the pool deck." And he said, my coach would step on him. <laughs> and he said, he did this in a meet one time. <laughs> he stepped on my goggles. And he said, because you never know when you're going to be swimming blind. And he would make Michael swim blind. So Michael had to rely on his training, his stroke count. I mean, Michael Phelps knew to the centimeter yeah. where the edge of that pool was. And he he anticipated the unexpected he was always it's like in 2008 in beijing he was ready for that yeah i mean to watch him swim that his form was perfect his time was what they were thinking everything at the highest of high levels was perfect but he was swimming blind yeah and that's just your story made me think of that yeah it kind of reminds me of 2020 (laughs) you know seriously if you were if if you're well-grounded uh, in your faith, then 2020 was just a bad year, sure. but not a devastating year. For a lot of people who don't have their faith, 2020 was an absolutely devastating year. Yeah, so, I mean, it begs the question, how how do we anticipate the unexpected with God? With with Michael Phelps, he he knew his stroke. He, he, he knew the training inside and out. So how do we anticipate... The unexpected with God, you got to know His character. Got to know Him. You got to yeah. know Him. You got to talk to Him daily. You got to be in His Word. You got to be talking to Him. Yeah. And then and only then can you know the true character of God. And you're anticipating the unexpected. And when it comes, maybe it's unexpected, but it's not a surprise. Yeah. It's okay. My goggles are full of water. Let's let's see what I really know about my stroke. Let's yeah. see what I really know about God when things get tough. That's right. Yeah. Last question. Do we thank him enough for preparing us for each day or for each season? <laughs> Do we thank him enough for anything? No. <laughs> um, I just think we have to ask to be prepared. You know, there was the story in the Bible where the blind man comes to Jesus. And in, in the context of the story, Jesus finally asks him when he brings the man to him and he says, what do you want? And I think God wants us to open ourselves up uh, for the unexpected and be willing to follow wherever he wants us to go. Um, But if we don't ask to be prepared by him, if we don't ask, Lord, this is what I want. I want to be able to handle another year like 2020. Mm -hmm. Then I I think it's harder to get there. Mm -hmm. But when we I think we we pray specifically for the unexpected. Right, just like Charles Spurgeon was doing, he was praying for things to be unexpected, to be disordered, to be a little crazy, because he knew what that would result in. 
It's like praying for patience. It's just like <laughs> praying for patience. Guess what's going to come, or guess what's going to be needed when you pray for patience. Yep. And yep. Uh, it's uh, it's one of those dangerous prayers. My wife tells me never pray for patience. <laughs> There is power in people's stories. It's a challenging time. What do you do when everything you believe about God is being tested and God doesn't look like the good father that he says he does? You've got layers and layers and layers of hate in your heart. It it takes God to clean it out. Your story can help encourage others around the country, just like these stories have. You can walk through a simple process of sharing your story with the Big Share app. Download the Big Share app in your app store to start sharing hope with others. Okay, so it's that time. It is time for Dean's Thoughts, and that's a time when I share something that I've written about the intersection between running and faith. And here is the question. What would happen if we didn't have any wind? Where have done this one? Now, this is, let's do a hard cut right here. Okay. Sorry. So just say, all right, we're back. This is incomprehensible simplicity. Yeah. <laughs> you got to quit the cut and paste. <laughs> well, it was the moving them in order is what, what messed oh, it all up. It wasn't, oh, I got yeah, you. I yeah. got you. <laughs> all right. It is time for Dean's thoughts. And that is a time when I share something that I've written about the intersection between running and faith. So here's the question. Can things be tough to understand? And simple at the same time. Mm, I say yes. That's deep. This is a story. Deep thoughts by (laughs) Dean. (laughs) This is called Incomprehensible Simplicity. Naaman was the captain of the army of Aram, which was situated just northeast of Israel. Though they were neighbors, they rarely got along. Aram was growing in power and would occasionally raid Israel to cause confusion and problems for them. On their successful trips to Israel, they would sometimes bring back captives. Naaman had a servant who was one of those captives. She was an Israelite girl who seemed to genuinely care about him. It turns out that Naaman had leprosy, a dreaded disease that varied in degree and forced many people to live outside of the city in leper colonies if their case was severe enough to be seen by others. It seems clear that his case was either mild or in its early stages. Otherwise, he may have been sent to live in one of these colonies. Surely it was something that occupied his mind constantly. The idea of leaving his lavish lifestyle to join a group of outcasts must have been terrifying. Fortunately, his boss, the king, liked him and wanted to see him taken care of. Back to the servant girl. Even though she was taken from her native land, she cared enough about Naaman to mention that she knew of a prophet in Israel who could heal his leprosy. Of course, when he heard about the prophet, and because he knew the outcome of living with leprosy was never good, he went to the king and asked if he could go to see the prophet so he could be healed. The king granted him the request and sent along money to pay for the service and a letter to Israel's king explaining Naaman's predicament. The king had a vested interest in the health and well-being of his army captain. When Naaman arrived and gave his letter to the king of Israel, the king didn't know what to do. He was angry that the king of Aram had apparently thought he could cure leprosy. 
He was angry because he felt that this was an attempt to pick a fight with him. When the prophet Elisha hears about the dilemma, he offers to help. He tells the king to send Naaman to him, and he will take care of the precarious situation. So Naaman pulls up to Elisha's door with great fanfare and flashy chariots. He gets down from his chariot and stands at Elisha's door with the expectation that he will come and call out to the God of heaven, wave his hand over his disease, and he will be healed. But that's not what happened. Elisha sends a messenger to the door to give him a simple message. Naaman was told to go to the Jordan River and wash seven times and his disease would go away. Well, he was mad. In today's language, Naaman said, Seriously, dude, I thought you were going to heal me. The rivers where I come from are much nicer than that nasty Jordan River. I could have stayed home and done that. Apparently, you don't understand how serious this is. Naaman was going, was going to head home until one of his servants spoke up and said, What well, will hurt to try it? If he had asked you to do something spectacular, you would have done it. So why not give it a go? So he went down to the muddy Jordan and dipped himself seven times, and he was healed. Of course, he changed his tune then. He went back to Elisha to tell him how, that he now understood that there was no other God but the God of Israel and to pay him for his service. But Elisha would not take any comp compensation. There are many lessons in these first 19 verses of the fifth chapter of 2 Kings, but I want to focus on one. The 13th verse says, And his servants came near and spoke to him and said, My father, if the prophet had told you to do something great, would you not have done it? How much more then when he says to you, Wash and be clean? Naaman seemed to be looking for some grand spectacle or at least for the hand of the prophet to physically touch him. What he failed to see is that the ceremony or the act means nothing other than to prove that he believed. God doesn't have to create a huge production, though sometimes he does, to get his point across. He simply wants us to understand who he is and that he is in control. That's the way, it's that way with salvation. It requires a simple act, but has a profound impact. It's easy to do but hard to follow through. The message is uncomplicated, but it takes more than a lifetime to understand. It's why super intellectual people often have a hard time with Christianity. They believe that nothing so important could possibly be that simple. But it is. It always has been and always will be. God loves us and wants us to spend eternity with him, and he gives us an unpretentious, straightforward way to get there. Don't miss the message by trying to make it too complicated. Running is similar to our salvation in this way. It's simple. Step one, one foot in front of the other. Step two, repeat step one. <laughs> At the same time, lifelong runners know there's always more just over the horizon on the next run. There can be a lot to think about. Am I hydrated? How many miles should I run? Am I eating the right foods? Should I do speed work? How do I prepare my run uh, to run in the cold? What's my playlist going to be? What's that pain in my calf? <laughs> All are valid thoughts and questions, but don't miss the simplicity of running. Do you think a dog thinks about his form or what he ate when he's running? No, he just runs for the enjoyment of it because God made him that way. 
sometimes we just need to run like a dog. <laughs> I love the way you finished that. That's that's an awesome story, Dean. We just want to make things so complicated oftentimes, and it's not that complicated. <laughs> we just need to run like a dog. <laughs> yeah. I mean, society says that if it's, if it's not complex, then it's not effective. And like coaching. Coaching is not complicated and should not be complicated. Some coaches don't like it when I say that. Uh, but coaching, I've always said, is not rocket science. The hard part is motivating others to see the benefit of what you are coaching. That's that's the hard part. Is the motivation right? That's right. Um, doctors don't struggle with what medications to prescribe. Mm -mm. They struggle with people getting people to take their medications, right? <laughs> yeah. So, I'm reading a book right now. It's the second time I've read it because I love it. It was written in the 1920s. It's called The Richest Man in Babylon. Have you ever heard of it? I've heard of it, but I've never read it. It's a financial book. Um, but the, the principles are so simple, many people just discredit them. Dave Ramsey has built his entire company on those principles. He's, he's never said that, but yep. you read the book and you know this is – I mean, Dave Ramsey has said he read this book when he was 12 years old. But it says, live on less than you make, live by a budget, and invest 10% of what you make over your career, and you'll become wealthy. Pretty simple, right? Right. But, I mean, basically it says consistently do three things, but we try to complicate those simple ideas. I mean, society says... Um, you got to have stuff. Yeah, don't yeah. don't live on less than what you make. You yeah. you deserve more. They what say credits for right, right? Yeah. A budget that's just too restrictive, and investing should be elaborate. You should have to have a finance degree to do this. And society wants to complicate it. And the simple paths are most often the most effective. Mm -hmm. Trust God, love others, stay healthy, put a little back for a later day, and go run. If if you do those five things, you're going to have a, a really good life. Yeah. But, but we try to take those things and digest them and dissect them, and there's been industries made that that requires that we complicate those things so that those in industries can survive – and that's why I, I love finance stuff. I love, you know, I love learning about that. But it's the reason I'm going back and reading this book for a second time. Yeah. Because we get so caught up in the the hype and the, yeah. you know, as coaches, we get caught up in we need to do this kind of workout and this kind of workout. We need to make it elaborate and we need to do this. When the thing we need to be focusing on is getting the kids to run. Yeah. Yeah. Your parents, they – they they have these elaborate things on, you know, we, we we need to have this program in place and we need to put these filters in place so our kids don't, their minds don't get warped by technology when all we need to say is get off the phone. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's, we complicate our lives so much and it don't have to be that way. And, I mean, yeah, your story is, is dead on. It's 
let's just run like a dog. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. You know, I think about Apple products. Apple products are designed specifically. They're very intricate products, right? Mm-hmm. Very intricate. But they're made to be simple. They're made for the user to use them simply. Mm-hmm. And that's, it's hard to be simple sometimes. And, and simple can be hard sometimes. Yeah, it's kind of like sometimes you got to slow down to go fast. Yeah. You know, it, I've heard that somewhere before. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, I, 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 lo- I love simplicity. I love to take complexity out of things. You know, every time you and I go back and forth sometimes on creating a, a running course. Yeah. And, and my thing is always the s- most simple course possible. And that's the way we should live our lives is, yeah. is simplicity. Love God, love others, stay healthy, put a little back for another day, and go run. That's it. We need to create a bumper sticker with that because that's mind, body, and spirit all in one. And keep it simple. Keep it simple, stupid. Kiss. I shouldn't have said stupid, but you know what I mean. Well, that's what it, that's what it stands for. Yeah, that's what it stands for. Yeah. I'm not saying that to anybody. Keep- but keep it simple. Sister. I say that to myself all the time. Yeah. Keep it simple, Mitchell. Come on. Yeah. You're, you're trying to make something complicated that doesn't need to be complicated. And how many times do we do that with the gospel? Yeah, absolutely. It's not. The, the gospel is not complicated, but there's scholars everywhere saying it's too simple. That's right. That's We're simple people. That's why God made it that way. That's right. And it's so effective. New bumper sticker. Run like a dog. <laughs> Trust God. Love others. Stay healthy. Put a little bit back for a later day and go run like a dog. I like it. Let's do that. (laughs) If you've ever participated in any sport, you've probably met a great coach. Great coaches inspire us to do more than we ever thought possible. You can be the leader that helps others achieve things they never thought possible. You. Yes, you have the ability and the opportunity to be that person. All you need is a heart to help people and the ability to follow a plan. The Run for God 5K Challenge will come ready to help you inspire those around you. The step-by-step guide will direct you how to plan, pray, and train people both physically and spiritually. You can help them become more fit in their health and in their walk with Christ. Share your passion. Go to runforgod.com to find out how to inspire others to accomplish big things. Okay, so we have a new trivia question for this week. So, now what's the rules here? The rules are? You have to be a Run Club member. You can't just be listening to this. You have to be a Run Club member. And if you're not a member, go to runforgodrunclub.com, join us 27 cents a day. Incredible deal. So you have to be a member. And then you have to be the first one with the correct answer and send it to dean at runforgod.com. Not customer service, not Facebook Messenger. We're still getting those. It has to go to dean at runforgod.com. And if you're the first one to answer it, the hoodie that you see Dean wearing right now, you're going to get one, a Run Club hoodie for free. Man. Free. So when you send your answer, you need to also send your size hoodie that Dean is wearing right now. And uh, we have men's and ladies' sizes, so you can go online and check the sizing charts but uh you're gonna get one of those hoodies it's warm and cozy (laughs) all right so here's our question for this week there was a woman who was named the winner of the 1980 boston marathon 
but her victory was disallowed later. Here's the question. Why and what were the circumstances of her victory that made the officials take it away from her later? Many people know this one. Somebody's going to know this one off the top of their head. I think I know it. I'll, I'll ask you once this is over. Yeah, yeah. It's a it's an interesting story, interesting question, and uh, and certainly um, it, there is even more to the story too than you know, probably because there was more to the story than I know, and I was around when this happened. So I was actually a runner when this happened. So mm. I, I, I know this story intricately, and there were things I didn't know about it. I was two years old, by the way. Uh, now you're just showing <laughs> off. <laughs> All right, so here's why running is so awesome for this week. Energy. <laughs> you know, people give me a hard time all the time. They say I have too much energy. You have a lot of energy. And they, they you know, they tell me I can't sit still. And, and But, you know, I'm convinced that a lot of it is, is just due to running. It's yeah. due to the energy that I get because I keep my body in, in good shape. And um, and that's... You run like a dog. I run like a dog. <laughs> people think running makes you tired. Yeah. Um, but running... Opposite. It does the opposite. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. It will make you tired temporarily. You'll sleep good that night, yep, yep, yep. but you'll have more energy the next day. Absolutely. Ultimately, you will have more energy. And our motivational thought of the week is this one from Albert Einstein, because Einstein is all about riding bicycles, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> he said this, life is like riding a bicycle. To keep your balance, you must keep moving. I think that's so fantastic. I love that quote. Yeah. Use that energy. Keep moving. So you don't fall over like the trees we talked about a couple episodes ago, right? Yeah. We've got a lot of bumper stickers in this episode. We do. It's a great bumper sticker. Keep moving well. and don't fall over. That's <laughs> a good one. Uh, I just uh, I like learning a lesson about uh, doing things just a little at a time. I remember one time when uh, I know this may be TMI. We've been through the TMI thing here before. You're all about TMI. I'm telling you. So we, uh, I, I, I had a book that, that I decided that when I was in the bathroom, I would read a couple of pages of this book. And, I mean, it just didn't seem like much time at all before I was done with that book. And it was, you know, it was five minutes at a time or less. Right. And, and it was all done. And, uh, and so I finished an entire book. Yeah. In spare time that normally I would do nothing with. And so it was really, really cool to be able to finish that. So uh, lots of stuff that you can accomplish in your spare minutes of time that you have throughout the day. So um, think about that the next time you're sitting there and you're, you're thinking, what can I be doing right now? <laughs> you don't know how to respond to that, do you? Uh, you stumped me there. <laughs> TMI with Dean. Hey, listen, uh, we want you to join Run Club. If you haven't joined Run Club by now, we don't know what you're waiting for. If you're listening to this podcast, you certainly, certainly, if you if you can get to the end of this podcast and you've weathered Mitchell and I for an hour, surely you should be in Run Club because you have a big enough interest. So join Run Club, 27 cents a day. Um, and we're just weeks away from the biggest thing we've ever done. And we want you to join for that, the Couch to Marathon. Yeah, my goodness. Don't say I can't do that. Don't even go there. We're not going to allow that. That's right. That's disallowed. Just like this woman who ran the marathon. Exactly. Disallowed. Disallowed. You're going to run a marathon. Uh, 
So join Run Club. And now, may God bless every step of every run. Go out there and shine your light. Good job there, TMI. For more information about the Run for God ministry, go to runforgod.com. If you have questions about your salvation, click on the Peace with God tab. There's nothing more important. Thanks for joining us today.